You'll see, uh, the plan is to make it through eight verses. So, you guys know the plan. As we look at Revelation, we've seen, uh, we've, we've come through a lot of things. We've come through the natural division of the book. We've seen the seven letters to the seven churches. We've seen the, the church in heaven. We've seen the tribulation period poured out God's wrath from chapter 6 through 19. We saw the kingdom of Jesus Christ in chapter 20. In chapter 21 is all the good news. In fact, the first eight verses of chapter 21 are my favorite verses in the whole book of Revelation because of what it is, the message that Christ has given us through the text. So I encourage you to to come along with me and we'll take a look. But we have seen in the beginning a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Then we saw the return of the lion, the return of the king, setting up his kingdom. Now... You see the reign of the Lamb. Not the Lion. This is the Lamb. This is Jesus and His people. This is what Jesus has for His bride, for for the saved. We're now parting the veil, crossing into the sphere of eschatology where we almost all totally agree. We're leaving all the stuff where everybody fights. That was chapter 20. That's over. We come into 21, and this is the, and we live happily forever. That's that's the good news, right? So let's take a look at it. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on a throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable... As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. God, we come to you, we lift up your word, God, and we pray that your word, Father, would uh, be the final arbiter in our life. Lord, as we look to it, we ask, God, that our hearts are prepared to receive the seed And as that seed comes into our lives, into our heart, Lord, we pray that it would bring forth the fruit of faith, that we might grow closer to you, Lord. We pray your blessing as we open your word, Lord. We pray that you would guide and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at six things in regard to the future. What's this going to look like? What's What's this reign of the Lamb? What is this new creation? You know, all along, God's been giving us hints. For example, when we come to faith in Christ, doesn't he say 
you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you feel like a new creation? How many of you, when you wake up in the morning, you feel like, man, I feel like I was made totally new. Now, there may be times we feel that way. If we're honest, there's a whole lot of other times where we feel like, I don't, I'm not sure it happened yet. And in a sense, it has and it hasn't. It is here and it's not here. Jesus has fulfilled that promise and he's begun a good work in our lives and he's building us or making us into the men and women he wants us to be. But there is a day, yet future, when all the things in your mind that you think it will be like to be with Christ are going to happen. All of them. All of those are going to literally take place. In verse 1 it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. So the first thing we see, things are going to be totally new. Absolutely new. Physical new reality. In Isaiah 65, 17, it says this, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered nor come to mind. As we look at it, I don't know if it matters to you guys or not. Maybe you guys have heard before, people say... Uh, especially here in Isaiah, he uses the word bara, which a lot of people say that's to create from nothing. But that's not true. It, it's a little easy statement to say, but the reality is the same word is used when God makes man, when God makes woman. Do you remember the materials he used for those two creations? He made man out of the dirt and woman out of the rib from the man, right? So <clears throat> there were materials there. Same word, same Hebrew word, bara. But it does mean to create. It doesn't, doesn't take away from the reality that God is making something. And what we're going to see in a new physical reality, that word new means totally something you can't even imagine. In fact, the word of God would say, I has not seen. How many of you guys have seen really crazy, beautiful things? Okay, I has not seen. Ear has not heard. You ever heard things that were incredible? Whether music or, or birds or nature or whatever. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. What about have you ever dreamed something? Somewhere, some idea you had maybe in your, in your uh, um, intellect, somewhere in your mind you thought of something that was incredible. The Bible says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things God has for those who love Him. The, the idea is that there's the incredible creation that God's going to bring forth. And this is what He's talking about in verse 1. New heavens, new earth. It's going to be totally different. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, I that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring remain. Here's the other promise God makes. He's not going to do it again. New heaven, new earth, forever. Forever. And he says, you're going to be with me the same way. I'm not going to uncreate, recreate, nor am I going to uncreate, recreate you. It's, it's you and me till the wheels fall off. Second Peter 3.13 says, but according to the promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now that's the point. What God is doing in the new creation and creating a new heaven and a new earth is totally obliterating all sign of the curse, of the fall, of the stain of sin, 
of the enemy of death, of the concept of chaos, all of that is gone, utterly. You and I can't even fathom it because we've never existed with the absence of those things. We've never had a day without death. In fact, I bet we've never had a day without chaos. Some form or another. So the concept is, in that new heaven and new earth, that's what it's going to be like. See, this present world, this present environment is going to pass away. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus' words, He said this, Heaven and earth will pass away. So what we have here, that's gone. Heaven and earth will pass away. But what did He say about His word? His word will never pass away. Never. There may be some people that tell you, you know, I think the word of God is corrupted. But the argument's with Jesus, because Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle will pass away from the law until all these things have been fulfilled. Jesus said, you're not going to lose any of it. What I want you to have, you're going to have. You got it all. It's there. It's there. Second Peter 3, 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief when the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things will be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be? In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So that's the end of the universe. Planets, everything gone. Over. And then just as quick, new. In ways you can't even fathom. Concepts that we can't even grasp. And then there's this interesting phrase at the end, right? And there will be no more what? No more sea. There's going to be no more sea. And, and sometimes we get sad. Oh, I like the beach. It doesn't say there's not going to be any beach. It says there will be no more sea. What have we been talking about as we've gone through Revelation? What did the sea signify? The sea signified chaos. The sea signified all the scary places. Remember I told you the sea for them was the mindset of the monster that's under your bed. The sea for them was the idea of the one that's in your closet. Remember when we were kids and we come into our bedroom and turn out the light, run and dive for bed so something wouldn't reach up under the, under the monster, wouldn't come up and grab you? That fear of the unknown is what's symbolized by the sea. What's he saying? The new creation, that's not going to be there, guys. Death is not going to be there. Chaos is not going to be there. Pain is not going to be there. We, again, can't even begin to fathom that because in our reality, we've never experienced that. We don't know what that kind of day looks like. But here, the Lord God is saying, this is how it's going to be. Totally new. Everything you see, gone. Everything coming new. And he's going to describe these new things. The second thing we want to see is a new city. A new city. Look at it. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First thing he tells about the new city, it's holy. The city is holy. You and I have never experienced that. We may have seen and, and have some concept of some idea of holiness, but we've never seen absolute holiness. Like when we see God... Job said, my eyes, not somebody else's, with my eyes, I will see God. To see and look on perfect purity, perfect holiness. That's the new Jerusalem. It's 
holy. And the way that <coughs> Scripture is going to describe that is by looking at the negative, the things that won't be there. The things that won't be in the city. In verse 8 of chapter 21, it says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is a second death. What's the point? They're not in that city. Now, I'm thankful for Paul writing 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because he goes through a list just like this, and that list begins with, And such were some of you. But you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, no? You've been cleansed. Remember, how did we get into the marriage supper? How do we get into a relationship with Christ? We put on the wedding garment, right? Matthew 22, where did the invitation go to? Everyone, right? Whosoever will can come. But when you come, what do you have to put on? You have to put on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except how? Through me. So it, it's all through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, You were in Christ. When you heard the gospel, the invitation, you respond and believe. Now you're in Christ. You put on a wedding garment. We were liars. We were murderers. We were sexually immoral. This list is not, we're not somehow elevated beyond that list. Now, I never do those things. I'm elevated beyond that list because of Christ, not me. It's Christ that does it. So there will be none of that. We've never had that. We ever had a, an experience where we lived in a city that was perfectly holy? Not self-righteously holy. Perfect holiness. So this is what he's talking about. Perfect holiness. In verse 27 of chapter 21, look what it says. Nothing unclean, nothing will ever enter it. You never have to worry about locking your doors. You never have to worry about if I left the window open at night. You never have to worry about somebody getting crazy ideas, ever. Because that city, that new creation is perfectly holy. Pure. Righteous. That's the point. Revelation 22.3 no longer will there be anything accursed. Nothing that relates to the curse will be there. Nothing that relates to the curse. The crazy thought life that we struggle with to keep ourselves walking a life not of sin, but uh, of righteousness following Christ. That's over. Nothing that's a part of the curse is there. Nothing that's a part of that struggle is in that place. It's all gone. 22.15, it says, Outside are dogs and sorcerers. Now, I don't want you to get your feelings hurt. I know some of us are hoping for our dogs in heaven. This verse is not the verse that says there won't be any dogs there. What's he saying when he says dogs? Outside will be dogs. What's he talking about? Dogs is an idiom for a, a foul, abhorrent, abhorrent person. There's not going to be those people. The dog was a word you would put on the, the worst person, that was like the worst thing you call somebody in Hebrew. So, they're not going to be that, those people won't be there. That's not going to be a part of what's going on. Sorcerers, sexual, immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices a lie. Everyone who speaks falsehood. So, that's all gone. It blows my mind because the reality, if you just sit around and think about it, we never, I bet we haven't had five minutes without any of that. And it's all going to be gone. The new city is going to be pure. 
In Isaiah 52.1 it says this, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised or unclean. Everything that's not pure or not holy will not be there. Remember when we looked at the parable Jesus told about the wedding supper, right? What happened to the man who wasn't clothed in Christ? He didn't have his wedding garment on. What happened to him? You can't be here. Because the only people who can be here are people who are clothed in Christ. People who are clothed in him, who have uh, over them, washing over them the righteousness of God. And then he's gonna, he also contrasts the city. Take a look at it. Not only is he called the city holy, but he says it's a new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem. What's the matter with the old Jerusalem? Well, I don't know. Just pick your, your prophetic book. Ezekiel calls the old Jerusalem Sodom. That can't be good, right? The scripture tells us that, that just like heaven, everywhere within creation is stained by sin. By the curse, it's everywhere. And God's going to wash it all, gone, clean, overdone. It's going to be completed. In fact, you remember when we were in chapter 11 of Revelation, <clears throat> verse 8, we talked about the two witnesses. It says, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. What are they talking about? Where was Jesus crucified? Yeah, right outside the city gates of Jerusalem, right? Yeah. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, not like the old one. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, not like the old one. New. Completely, totally new. Galatians chapter 4, 24 says this. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women, talking about the two covenants, these women... Um, are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free. There's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a earthly Jerusalem, a fallen Jerusalem, a stained Jerusalem, but that's not the Jerusalem we're going to see. We take trips now and we go look at Jerusalem and we see cool things of history, but the new Jerusalem is going to be so much better than the old one. And that's the point that he's making. The other thing that we see in the coming of the city, <coughs> as this city comes, where's it coming from? Coming from heaven. It's coming from heaven, coming down out of heaven. In Hebrews 11.10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for a city built by God. What are we seeing here? New heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is God's city. He put it together. It's perfect. It's perfect. And then he, he gives a, a comparison. Look at the comparison. Like a bride adorned, for her husband. That's, what the, that's how he describes the city. Like a bride adorned for her husband. She's, she, it's the best she's ever looked. She's put together. She's perfect. It's, it's everything. For I, in 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure, perfect virgin to Christ. 
So the examples are all the same. God made this city. It comes down. It's a picture of the place where the bride of Christ is going to live. Perfect. Completely perfect. My stuff's not perfect now. I had a new truck for like a week before Kathy wrecked it. I had a not-so-new bike, a new-to-me bike. Uh, I, didn't, I don't even think I had it a week before it broke down. It had to be towed to a shop, and when it did, it got all scraped up on the tow straps. You guys ever had something that you got was all shiny and pretty, and then pretty soon it's not so shiny and pretty? It got a few more scratches? Jonathan can tell you about parking a four-wheeler in the cab of his truck. Yeah? With, he not the only one. I know all your stories. <laughs> so we all see the, the reality of that. The, the, the stuff's not perfect, but what he's saying is, man, this city is it's perfect. It's everything you could ever want from a city. And I, what I want you to understand, because today we don't, we don't carry the same connotation. We might think of a, of a beautiful cabin in the middle of the woods as the perfect thing. You've got to put yourself in the mind of uh, uh, Second Temple Judaism and realize being out in the woods by yourself meant you didn't live long. Because everywhere where it was safe was in the city. When the enemy came, he couldn't get to you. Why? Because you were in the city. And the more wealthy you were, the, more, the closer to the main fortress part of the city you were in. The wealthier you were, the more compacted you were in the city because that spoke of stability the idea is not to get your head wrapped around this concept of well it's it's just going to look like some giant uh, los angeles in the sky that we're going to live in forever and ever the point is stability security perfection purity we want to get the mindset that set in our mind not you know it's going to look like the borg coming down out of heaven because the bible is going to describe it as a perfect square a cube floating above the earth we want to understand what is it that scripture is laying out for us so here's what we've seen we've seen as we begin we see a new creation everything changing in the universe a, a new city the center of attraction coming down from god out of heaven the third thing we're going to see is the purpose of god is finished it's done. It's over. <clears throat> I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will be with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's it. That's what God has longed for. That's what man has sought for ever since the fall of Adam. Because prior to the fall, what does the scripture tell us? And God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. Adam wasn't sitting around wondering, is there a God? He knew there was a God. He was going to walk with them in the afternoon. They met together and walked, and they enjoyed each other's fellowship and relationship. And then the fall, and that's broken, and it's disrupted. And now we're seeing the culmination where that's brought back. That God will be in our midst. It's not like we're going to be living somewhere, and we're going to look up on a tall mountain way out there in a little shiny spot on top of the tall mountain, and we'll say, oh, that's where God lives. We're, we're way out here. It's not going to be like that. God's going to be in our midst forever with us, right where we are, right in the place where we are. This is the fulfillment of God's purpose coming together. 
John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what happens in verse 14? The Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. Yet, did God want to do that? Does God want to be in our midst? Sure He does. Man, over and over and over in history, read the book. Uh, Genesis to Revelation. It's God's desire to be in the midst of His people. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now, who do you think he's talking about? John 1.18, the only God who is at the Father's side. Remember what we said, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with. That word with means side by side, face to face with God. Separate, but the same. Uh, you know, we, we had this discussion before. Everybody trips up on the Trinity, and I just fall back to this. How many Yahwehs have you seen? You, you travel through the universe, and you've seen lots of Yahwehs? Because as far as I know, there's one in all the universe. And he can tell me what he looks like, because I've never seen him. And this is what he tells me. He says, the only God standing beside me, who is also God, the only God beside me, he's going to reveal God to you. So we have this incredible being laying it out for us. Laying out for us the beauty of the fulfillment of God's plan. Psalm 1611 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. Now we've been talking about that Sunday morning, about in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Now what's it going to be like when forever all we have is the fullness of joy because in our presence every day, every moment, God is there. Not a God we can't see, that we can't know, that we can't comprehend. A God for the rest of time that we're able to see. We're able to experience that fullness of joy. What an incredible day that will be. So the purpose of God is finished. God's plan's done. All the stuff we know about as we read the Bible will be wrapped up in a neat little bow. Finished. It is finished. What did Jesus say from the cross? It is finished. Battle's over, man. That battle was fought and won that day. Now we just wait to realize it. To realize in time, that moment. We're also going to see, number four, that the past is gone. Verse four, look at it. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. All the old things, all the old regrets, everything in your life you look back on and say, man, I wish that had never happened. God's going to wipe it all away. It's all gone. Every hurt that you've ever held on to, every pain you've ever felt, all of it. So the beauty to me is in a life with Christ, everything has meaning. Your suffering is not without meaning. God says it all matters to Him. He cares about it all. He sees it all. He, he recognizes it all. And he says, and one day, I'm going to wipe it all out. One day, I'm going I'm to make it all clean. I'm going to wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death, just like no chaos, no death. Gone, over, finished, will never happen, will never be. There'll be no mourning, nothing to cry about, no regrets, nothing to regret. All that stuff washed away. 
No crying or pain anymore because the former things are gone. The former, all those things that I, nighttime's the worst time. I don't know what it's like for you guys. At nighttime, when it's really quiet and I go to bed and I think about what I said to my kids or what I should have done or what I could have done or what I could have got done better and I hold on to all those regrets and then if I, if I think about them long enough, then I don't sleep. And the older I get, the more common that is. When I was younger, it was easier just to go, oh, pff, whatever. And now I'm older, it's like, oh, I, I don't have too many whatevers anymore. Now, now all, those, all that fruit is coming back, right? Harvest has come. All that stuff's going to be gone. Look at Psalm 56.8. I love this psalm. It says, you have kept count of my tossings. All those times you were in bed flopping around saying, I can't sleep. I'm so frustrated. God was there. He watched you and it mattered to him. It mattered to him. That's enough for me. That, it, that, this, that God is with me and that it matters to him. You have, you have kept count. He knows. I can't even tell you how many times I've tossed. But if you ask God, he could say, yeah, I can tell you. And look what else he does. Not only has he kept count of my tossings, he put my tears in his bottle. So I never cried a tear that God wasn't there and that he didn't keep it. Just for the purpose, the sole purpose, at the end, at the beginning of the new creation, at the end of the old creation, for God to take all that pain represented in them tears and wash them away. Gone. How many, I, I don't know, I've probably lived uh, at least two-thirds of my life wishing I had a reset button. That's the reset button. It's all gone. All the pain, all the tears, are they not in your book? <clears throat> in Isaiah 25, 8 and 9, it says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he'll take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The reproach of his people, the failures of his people, he's going to take it all away. It's not like in a thousand years into this, we'll be thinking about, man, I really messed up, and, and I didn't walk with the Lord like I should have back in the olden days. That's gone. It's gone. You're going to experience what God already knows. You know that God's word says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sins have been removed. God don't hold on to them. We do. Right? You guys remember the, uh, Kathy one time gave an illustration about, you know, the, the Bible talks about using your shield of faith to block the fiery darts of the enemy. And sometimes you block them with your shield, they hit the shield and fall down, but we reach down, pick them up, and stick them in us. Because we think, oh, I do you see what that person said? Didn't hit my shield the first time, but the second time I stuck it in me. That's gone. That's over. All the brokenness of mankind, this is what he's talking about. All the brokenness of mankind, his past utterly gone. Utterly and completely. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. I love that. It's new. New heaven, new earth. That's done. This one's done. I can punch a card, tear it up, throw it away. It's new. New purposes. The past is gone. In Hebrews 8, 12, 
It says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Because God's already like that. You and me are going to be. It's going to be like that. What a beautiful place. What a beautiful time. The fifth thing I want you to see in these eight verses is all the promises of God will be realized. All of them. Every single one of them will be true. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make how many things new? Does it say most things? A few things. Everything except that one thing that was really bad? No. All things? So he's going to make everything new. Yeah, man, that's incredible. Everything new. And he said, so write these things down. For these words are trustworthy and true. So the first thing I want you to see are these promises of God. The first one, it's based on his ability to do it. Jesus says, I'm going to do it. I make all things new. We've talked about this before. When God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light, right? Light doesn't think about it, doesn't decide whether or not. Like when we call our kids from their rooms, you know, JC, come here. And they shout back from the room, what? Nope, I didn't say, ask me what. I said, come here. Nope, it's not going to be like that. God says, hey man, it's, if Jesus says I'm making all things new, they're all going to be new. He has the ability to do so, don't he? The second thing I want you to see on his promises is the accuracy of his word. What does he say about his word? His word is trustworthy and true. It's faithful and true. God's never broke a promise. He will not ever break a promise. We can take it to the bank, man. He's going to do it. So it's based on the accuracy of his word. The next part of the verse is based on his authority. Look at it. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, all throughout Isaiah, Isaiah, I want to say 44 through 48, over and over again, you're going to hear the Father use this same language. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Here you have the Son doing it. By the way, this book is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. We remember that, right? We're all tracking. Don't worry, you'll figure it out. We get to chapter 22, all the words are in red, so you can't mess it up. Because Jesus says, I, Jesus! am talking to you. So it's all his words that he's laying out for us. It's based on his authority. What's his authority? I'm God. What did the Bible say? Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority is all authority, right? Is there any other authority beyond that? So he has all the authority. So if he says, I'm going to make all things new, what's going to happen? All things are going to be new. If he said it in his word and his word is trustworthy and true, what's going to happen? All things are going to be new. It's going to happen. And then look at the assurance he lays out for us. He says, I will give. Look at it. He says, to the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. That's eternal life. He says, first thing, the first assurance, I'm going to give you eternal life. The spring of the water of life without payment. Then he's going to give an inheritance. He's going to give an inheritance to the one who conquers. He will have this heritage or this inheritance. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs. We're we're together. There's an inheritance. What is the inheritance that we're going to have? Family. God's going to be our family. 
we talk a lot about the church being a family. And maybe people struggle, I think, a lot of times with the concept. Maybe your, your family was better than mine. But church is a perfect picture of family for me. Because sometimes we fight. Sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes we don't talk for a while. But we come back together because we're family. That day, everything's going to be new. All those weirdness, those weird issues will be gone. And we will be family together with God. Look what he says. I will be his God and he will be my son, child. He's mine. We will belong to him. So we see the promises are utterly going to be realized. And then the last thing we want to see, there will have been punishment of the wicked. Most of the time through the Bible, prior to chapter 21 of Revelation, there has been this looming question. How come the wicked get away with it and the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked seem that it all seems to work out for them? What's going on? And the point is, what we read in chapter 20, what we saw last time in the book of Revelation, what we see this time is, the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be judged. As for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion, or their inheritance, will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All the wicked will go to hell. All of them. And just in case you didn't know this newsflash, we are all wicked. The only thing that saves us is being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's his righteousness imputed to me, not my own. It's not that somehow I worked, I I finally became good enough. What happened is I bowed the knee to Christ and begged him to cover me with his righteousness. That's how that happens. That's how that works. The same thing that Jesus Christ does for me, he will do for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord, won't he? Is that what the word says? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. If you confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look, it's, it's not, it is our responding to what Christ has done. It's our responding, it's our it's our nod. Yes, your king. Yes, cover me. Cover me. This picture is all throughout the Old Testament. When a, You guys remember the story of Ruth? A little bit. In the story of Ruth, what happens is Ruth, when she wants Boaz to, to rescue her out, of her out of her poverty, she goes and lays down at his feet. You remember what happens? Boaz wakes up and he covers her. He covers her. He takes his cloak, his robe, and he covers her. That's very symbolic language. You know why? Because in Ezekiel 16, that's what God does to Israel. He says, I found you in a field, naked and hated by your parents, thrown away. Nobody wanted you. You're just there, laying in a field, waiting to die. But I took care of you. I fed you, and I clothed you, and I gave you everything. And when you were old enough... I covered you with my robe and said, you are mine. Covering with that robe is that statement that says, 
You're mine. You are mine. I am your covering. That's what it means. And when we come to Christ, that's what we're saying. Christ, you are my covering. I don't get it on my own. My covering don't work. But the covering of Christ does. The covering of Christ makes it all okay. So when you look at this and we read this and we, and we wonder about these things, keep in your mind Matthew 22. Go read the parable again. Go read the parable about the king who sent out an invitation because his son was getting married and he sent it out to all his countrymen, but they didn't want to come and they killed his messengers. So he punished them and he took more messengers and he sent them out and he said, go to the highways and byways to everyone who will listen. The wedding, the wedding feast must be filled. You go to them all and you invite them. And when they came, and they come walking up to come into the wedding feast, right by the door is a giant box filled with the garments for the wedding feast. And to get in, you have to have the garment on. Because it's saying, you are my covering. The man who went in without one gets thrown out. Gotta be clever. We gotta be clothed. This is... This is the culmination of all that God has laid out in His gospel coming forth in Revelation 21. It's seeing the reality of all those things happening. So while we we think about these six things that we've talked about tonight, I'm going to close out. I just want to read Isaiah 55. I love Isaiah 55. Several quotes from Isaiah 55 in Revelation 21. But I just want you to hear the cry of your God's heart. What he's looking for. Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 1, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts. Who did he say to come? Everyone who's thirsty. If you're not thirsty, don't come. But if you're thirsty, come, he says. Come to the waters. Does it cost you anything? He who has no money, come buy and eat. I'm your covering. This is what God's talking about. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come, get the things that you need. Come, I have it for you. It doesn't cost anything. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy? That kind of marks most of my life. Clamoring for something that I think, the next. if I get this next thing, that will be it. If I get this next promotion, if I get this next job, if I get this next opportunity, that will finally be happy. No, my, my happy bone is broke. It don't work. I find my joy is in the Lord. It's not someplace else. It is in Him. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. In other words, turn your ear toward me. And come to me. Hear that your soul may live. What is He asking you to hear? The call. What was the call? If you're thirsty, come and I will give you drink. Remember Jesus saying that? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what you need. I'll give you what you need. We all looking for rest. I don't care what what work schedule you got. You're not going to like it. Oh, no, I love it. I work two days and I have five days off. No, what you really want is seven days off. No? No? Don't you just want to be able to have the freedom to go do the things you want to do? To just, you know that there's a day coming like that, right? 
where the things that we do with God and for God and by God and to God and that, that it will be the fulfillment of those desires. C.S. Lewis said, if I spend my life in this world looking for something and I can't ever find anything that satisfies me, I can only conclude one thing. I was made for a different world than this. That's the world where Christ is king. He says, incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you... How long is that covenant? Everlasting. So how long does God's covenant last? Forever. My steadfast, that's the word chesed in the Hebrew. Chesed, it's a faithful love. My (coughs) steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold... You shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall run to, or you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way. Let go of that. And the unrighteous forsake His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God wants to forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. For just as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't go back there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose. It will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy. You shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you will break into singing. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn will be the cypress. Instead of the briar will come up the myrtle. And it shall be a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will never be cut off. That's God's heart. And in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, you see it happen. There will be a day. I can't wait. You guys ready? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.